0: Well, the headline read this, man proposes by faking his own death. Man proposes by faking his own death. A wealthy Russian businessman who wanted to propose to his girlfriend decided to test her love before popping the big question. How? By faking his own death. After he worked with a makeup artist, a stuntman, and a director to stage a phony car crash, 30-year-old Alexei Told his girlfriend Irina to meet him somewhere. We've got pictures. This really happened. Irina said this When I arrived, there were mangled cars everywhere, ambulances, smoke, carnage. Then, when I saw Alexei covered in blood and lying on the road, a paramedic told me he was dead and I broke down in tears. With his mission accomplished, Alexei then rose from the dead and proposed to his stunned partner. Irina later confessed that she contemplated killing him for real this time. (laughs) But instead, she decided to marry him. Alexei said, I wanted her to realize how empty her life would be without me and how life would have no meaning without me. Aww, isn't that romantic? But he promised he would never do it again. What would it feel like to see someone come back From the dead. Irina got just for a second, just for a second, she got that feeling of what it would be like if somebody actually came back from the dead. People in the Bible do come back from the dead, but the first person to ever see it in all of human history, the first person to see someone come back from the dead was, guess who, Elijah. You see, death had a near-perfect kill ratio until our story today. From the garden to this day, there was only one person who ever got out of a natural death. You know who it was? Do you remember his name? Who was it? Enoch. Got taken up. He was no more. That was our only sliver of hope that anything other than death could be our fate until today. Elijah saw what had never been seen before, ever. And this morning, this monumental event will teach us about faith. Let's pray first. Lord, we trust that your word is everything that you've promised. It is living, it is active, it is strong, it is powerful. We trust that you speak to us with your voice through this word. So we ask, Lord, that your power would be at work in our hearts. We ask that you would have your say. We ask that your will would be known and declared. Father, we want to encounter you this morning. We open our ears, we open our hearts. Speak to your servants, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Bible's open to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. Uh, If you missed last week, you missed a lot. Elijah, week one. Last week Elijah went to the king, the evil king, and announced that God would turn off the rain for three and a half years. Why? Well, because they were trusting a false god, Baal, to bring the rain and to bring the crops. And God had to teach them that they were trusting in no God at all. So he turned off the rain for three and a half years and he sent Elijah on the run. You remember last week we found out that Elijah lived creekside for a few years. And who fed him? Who fed him? Ravens, food from a bird, beginning in the breakfast and then ending with dinner twice a day. God provided from the bird, but then the creek dried up. And God sent Elijah to a different territory. We've got a map that shows you Elijah's travels. Uh, and uh, he started on the right-hand side. There's the uh, Kareth Brook over there on the right. That's where he hung out for a while. You don't know how long. Then God said, leave and go all the way up there to Zarephath, which is in Baal's home field, his home territory, his homeland. And God sent him and said, I've appointed a widow, a widow, a widow who had nothing to provide for Elijah. Well, they were living miraculously. God provided flour and oil and met all their needs miraculously every day. And we pick up the story where we left off last week. Chapter 17, verse 17, here's what it says. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him she said to elijah what have you against me O man of god you have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son this story has a very sad beginning god allowed this widow's son to become ill severely ill deathly ill this is the widow who gave Elijah her last meal. They were about to die anyway. And now we're left wondering why on earth God would send Elijah up there to give them hope, only to dash their hope to pieces. To keep both of them alive only so this woman could see her child die. How could God provide for them miraculously daily and then allow a sickness to tear them apart. This takes place in the heartland of Baal worship. God has a lesson that he wants to teach them. First, let's write this down as we're trying to learn about faith from this story. Jot this down. I will suffer and I will die because sin ruined this world. Even if we're walking by faith, even if we're in the very center of God's will, even if we're doing everything he asked and we're in the place he directed, I I will suffer and I will die because sin ruined this world. But why? Well, you see, in the heart of Baal worship, we have to understand what they believed about their God. We have to understand what this widow believed as she was a Baal worshiper. Do you know what she believed? She thought that the God Baal who provided the rain and therefore provided the crops... That when times of drought came, or seasonally when the rain shut off, do you know what they believed about Baal? They thought that he was then subjecting himself to their God of death. They thought that in the netherworld, he was under death's authority being held captive until the time he would be released each year, free to provide for them again. She theologically believed her God was dead when a drought hit the land. So God in this moment, where the worst drought that they had known had hit her family personally. She had a major crisis of faith because her God was dead, and now her son was dead. Where could she turn? This was a major crisis of faith prompted by God. The God she trusted in was submissive to death, under the power of death, weaker than death. And God was about to teach her a lesson about the one true God. She was struggling in verse 18. She said, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. She was struggling with many things. She was wrestling with, why is this happening? Is it happening because of my sin? Is God punishing me? Um. Is this happening because God did this? Do I blame God? Do I blame myself? Do I blame you, Elijah? She didn't know who to blame. And this is, this is the fate of everyone who's touched by suffering or death. Who, who do I blame? What, why is this going on? And she's caught up in the emotional turmoil that everyone feels. But this makes it even worse that she was tempted to blame herself for this loss. Um, she felt sinful. Do You know, the Bible, in Romans uh, 3.23, there was a tallying of how many people who have ever lived actually are sinful. And the Bible sum totaled it all up and added it all up. And do you know what the sum total was? you know what it says? All. All. All have sinned, the Bible says, and this woman knew it. If you're honest, you know it. If you're a parent, you really know it. All have sinned. Our girls started softball this year, first season playing, and my son Jared comes to the games. And his favorite part of the game is that they've got this giant snack shack There, right there. And he gets to go to that. But he doesn't know how to pronounce it right. So he comes up to us and says, can I go to the confession stand? Can I go to the confession stand? And I'm thinking, yeah. You better tell them everything. Go to the confession stand. If you're honest, you'll admit that you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not just sinned a few oopses. Sin full is your heart. This woman knew it. Not only did her God fail to keep her son alive, but she has a sin problem and she doesn't know what to do with it. Romans 5.12, we'll put it up on the screen. It says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, who's that? Who's that? Adam. And death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. I'm struggling to blame myself for suffering or death. I'm struggling to blame another. I'm struggling to blame God. But why? hey, ultimately, I will suffer and I will die because sin ruined this world. Sin ruined this world. In John 9, 2-3, the disciples asked Jesus a question about this. They said about a man born blind. John 9, 2-3, we'll put that on the screen. The disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Hey, whose fault is it, this blind man? You can't see, did he do something wrong to get punished or did his parents do it? Jesus answered them, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but listen, listen, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus issues a sound of hope. Why would God allow this? Why is it still going on? Well, we know where it originated. Why is it perpetuated? It's not a mystery. God allows sickness. God allows suffering. God allows death for now to display his mighty works of power. Hey, like the widow, are you wrestling with this? If suffering or death touched your home? Are you wrestling with blaming God or blaming yourself or blaming others or blaming you don't even know who to blame? I will suffer and I will die even if I'm walking by faith because sin ruined this world. But if by faith I trust the Lord during that time, he will do a mighty work in some way. That's the reason he allowed it. Well, in this case, we find out why he allowed it. He had something spectacular planned. Look at verse 19. It says, And he, that's Elijah, said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him into the upper chamber where he lodged. He laid him on his own bed and he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God! Have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came into him again and he revived. Do you know how eternally significant this moment is? We began back in Eden when we started going through the Old Testament together and what did God say to Adam and Eve? If you, if you eat of it, you shall surely, you shall surely what? Say it. You shall surely die. And from that moment on, death after death after death, thousands and thousands and thousands of years and thousands of people died. No one could get out of it, just as God had said. But then here, God makes a statement to us, after all of these years of pain, after all the suffering, after the worst that this world can throw at us, when evil has had its way a dead heart begins to beat again for the first time. This moment is eternally significant. Death can be reversed. Death can be overcome. Death can be defeated. You may have a lot of problems in life. The greatest problem you have in life is death. This event in history gives you hope. What hope do you have that there's anything after death? What hope do you have that there's anything other than death? The hope that you find here in this story that I find here is that God alone has the power to raise the dead. You can write that down. This is the second faith lesson learned here. I will suffer and I will die because sin ruined this world. God alone has the power to raise the dead. I wonder what it was like to be the boy. This young boy, he was sick and died, and then the first thing that he sees when he wakes up is a grown man's face this close to his own. I don't know who was more scared, Elijah or the boy. The boy's eyes open, they probably both let out a scream, Whoa! There's actually three stories in the Old Testament of people coming back from the dead. Each one of them is interesting. Elisha followed Elijah. He was his uh, next, he was his trainee, and he took on the ministry after Elijah died. Elisha, when a child died, went and did the same thing Elijah did, laid out on the child. It was as if he was saying, my life transmitted into your life. Somehow God just give this child life through me face to face. And then the Bible said, when this child woke up, he sneezed seven times. <laughs> Elisha's like, ah! And then the child opened his eyes. Uh, the third person, though, has the best story. The third person to come back to life in the Old Testament. This guy died, and, and the, the pallbearers, were, they were just taking the body, and they were taking him to his tomb. Only they saw bandits who were coming, closing fast. So they had to do something real quick. And what they decided to do is, we don't have time to get this guy to his tomb. We're just going to throw him in the first tomb we see. Well, it just so happened, the Bible says, to be Elisha's tomb after Elisha had died. And so they throw this guy into Elisha's tomb and run. The Bible says as soon as this body hit Elisha's body, this guy sprang back to life. So this guy woke up on a dead guy. And I don't think God, like, explained to these people what was going on. This guy was just like, oh, what is that smell? Where am I? Why do I have grave clothes on? And he just had to figure out that he had come back from the dead. There were only three times it happened in the Old Testament. There were only two other people who got out of death in any other way. Do you know who they were? There was Enoch who was taken up to heaven. And who was the other one? Elijah. Elijah. Elijah, but he doesn't know that yet. He doesn't know as he brings the dead back to life that one day he's going to escape a natural death and go right up, chariots of fire. And these five stories are our only hope that anything other than a natural death is what waits waits for us. But this is the first time that it happened. The very first time. And Elijah gives us a portrait of faith. He didn't grow up like you going to Sunday school learning about Lazarus, come out. What? Who's Lazarus? He didn't know, he didn't know about Jairus' daughter. He didn't know about the widow's son who, who came back to life as they were carrying his casket to the tomb. Uh, he didn't know about any of those stories. This had never happened before. So think of the portrait of faith that we see here. Pick the child up. Brought him upstairs. Three times prayed to the Lord. There was no hope that God would answer this. Why would he do it? The Lord listened. Hey, this gives you and this gives me an example of prayer by faith. Okay, what are you praying for that only God can accomplish? What are you praying for that, to your knowledge, God has never done before in human history? Are you praying little teeny prayers? Lord, bless these chicken nuggets to my body. Somehow, that's actually a miracle prayer. Make them healthy. <laughs> Pray during a task, what do, you, what do you pray for? You praying, you praying for something that with man is impossible that only God can accomplish. That's what Elijah prayed for. See, your son lives. Your son lives. It goes on to say in verse 23 Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, listen, listen, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. Elijah was a portrait of faith because he prayed for something that had never been done before. The woman was a portrait of faith because finally, after a season of weighing the options, she believed what she heard was the word of the Lord. Her faith was in the declared message that came from God through a messenger. She believed it. Her God had let her down. Her God had not done anything for her, but the one true God had come through. This is crucial for us to understand why. Because this whole thing was meant to get the world ready for Christ to come. The whole Old Testament is intended, everything in the Old Testament was in some way getting the world ready for Christ to come. Here you have a a son who's brought back to life from the dead. This is supposed to get us ready for Jesus, who would one day be brought back to life from the dead. You have a woman who finally hears what she who finally believes what she hears from a prophet who raised the dead. And that teaches you that God wants you to believe what you heard about the dead coming back to life. You see because these three people in the old testament came back to life, God had established and proved he could bring the dead back to life, getting you ready for the time he would bring back the Lord Jesus from the dead. Elijah had faith God could raise the dead, and so he teaches us we must have faith that God can raise the dead and that he did raise the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 17, we'll put that up on the screen. It says this, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep, those are your loved ones who have died, in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, We are of all people most to be pitied. What does this have to do with Jesus? God let a few people get zipped up to heaven. He let three people come back from the grave. Because there would come the day when his son would what? Would come back from the grave. Only in a different way. He would come back from the grave. And he would be glorified. He would ascend into heaven. Therefore this makes it a final and triumphant rising up over death. This makes it a victory that is still in effect. Jesus came back from the dead conquering the grave. Jesus rose up to the right hand of God the Father on the Most High and therefore he lives in victory never to die again. This thing just gets, this resurrection just got us ready for Christ's resurrection. And Elijah's faith got us ready for faith in Christ. You can jot this down, the third point here. Just like Elijah, I must believe God raised the dead, but specifically, I must believe God raised Jesus from the dead. I must believe God raised Jesus from the dead. Since my greatest problem in life is death, my only hope is someone who can bring me from death to life. Since my greatest problem in life is death, my only hope is someone who can bring me from death To life, and that someone can only be someone who has come back from death to life. I have a question for you. Have you made up your mind who Jesus is? Do you believe by faith that he is a Savior who died on the cross, got put in a tomb, and who miraculously came back to life on the third day? Do you believe that? Uh, I met a restaurant manager once. You want to hear the story? Here's a story. This was. Lauren and I went out on a date. This was back when we lived near Wheaton. We had really small kids at that time, so date night was like survival. It's like, oh, we can talk and eat in peace. So we were really excited about this date night. And we went to a higher class place than we usually go. But we wanted a nice night. So we went to this place had two stories, and it had live music on the second floor. Um, but it ended up being the, the worst dining experience we've ever had in our lives. We get up there, and first of all, they wait 20 minutes to come up and say hi to us. We're just waiting and waiting and waiting. Then they finally come up. Oh, you're here. Then they take our order, but then they don't listen. Uh, they brought out the wrong thing for Lord. Some of didn't even order. They brought it out, and they decided not to cook it right. They had to go back, and the wrong thing had to be cooked twice. Then for dessert, they gave us dirty silverware to eat our dessert. And the music, when it started, the band was like this far from us, and they had the thing cranked all the way up. And I'm a drummer, and and it was too loud even for me. We just can't even talk. The food is bad. The silverware is dirty. And I thought to myself, I'm not paying for this. This is, and I got angry. But then I thought, I'm a pastor. (laughs) And I'm always looking for creative ways to share the gospel, and so I had an idea. Uh, My idea was to use this. So I went downstairs, and I asked for the restaurant manager. And uh, the guy came up, and he was like, Hello, sir, I'm the restaurant manager. And he was way too happy. After the night I had? So I said, Sir, I've just had the worst dining experience I've ever had in my entire life. And he said, What's the matter? And I said, What's not the matter? I said, The food was wrong. It was cooked bad. Silverware was dirty. Music was too loud. I said, We had an awful time here tonight, and it was our first time here. And he kind of had this, like, big-eyed ghost look on his face. And then I caught him off guard. I said, and I have a question for you. I said, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? And he went like this. <laughs> then he did something I will never forget. Never forget. He went like, I said, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? And he went like this. <laughs> like, uh, is this going to help me get money from you? Uh... I said, well, I am a follower of Jesus Christ and I want to teach you a word. The word is grace. I said, in the Bible it says eternal life is given as a gift. That's called grace. Grace means you get something you don't deserve. I said, you don't deserve me to pay this bill. I'm going to pay it because you don't deserve it. I'm even going to put a pretty sweet tip on there. You don't deserve what I'm doing, but I never want you to forget that eternal life comes to you the same way. You don't deserve it. He will never forget that. I will never forget Okay, so let me ask you again. Do you believe Jesus Christ died on the cross, he was dead, he was put in a tomb, and on the third day his dead heart started beating again and he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he lives today? Some of you came in and honestly, this is your heart. This is your heart. This was the widow's heart. She's got Baal. Baal's going to be back soon from the dead. Then he can help me again. But then there's this new God that Elijah told me about. She was doing this. God wanted to change this. You See that? That's why this whole thing happened. I must believe God raised Jesus from the dead. And I must believe it as a conviction. Conviction I'm willing to stake my life and my eternity on. A conviction I'm willing to die for. I must believe it. I'm talking a white knuckle grip on this truth as if it's the only hope you have for an eternity with God. Is that what you believe? Well, why should I believe it? Okay, fair question. Jot this down. I must believe God raised Jesus from the dead because you will be raised to life physically by Jesus. Write that down. You will be raised to life physically by Jesus. Here's the thing. What happened to that boy would eventually happen to the Lord Jesus. What happened to the Lord Jesus will eventually happen to you by the Lord Jesus. This is called the resurrection. The Bible says that one day the risen Lord will call you back from the grave along with every other human who's ever lived, and he'll do it using his vocal cords. I don't know who you think Jesus claimed to be, but Jesus claimed to have life in his being so that with his voice he could raise not just a few people, everyone. Check out this picture. This is a cemetery. It's a pretty big and elaborate cemetery. And if you're at all foggy on who Jesus Christ claimed to be, he said one day it's guaranteed that place filled with death and monuments to death's power will one day be a bustling place of life and vitality. The Bible teaches this. You will bodily rise up from the grave at the call of the Son of God, and then you will answer for what you've done in this life. You will be raised to life physically by Jesus but the truth is, the Bible says you won't attend your own funeral, but you will stand on top of your own grave one day. John five twenty five to 26, we'll put it on the screen, says this. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, the time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. Jesus claims that He will one day raise up everybody who's ever died. This includes you. You're therefore learning about your future. This is an astonishing claim. That death will not be the end of you. But that you will be called back physically and you will spend eternity in a physical conscious state of existence somewhere. This is a very unique portrayal of the afterlife. Maybe you've heard it said, well, most religion, all religions basically teach the same thing. Uh, that's false. That's false. And it's not my opinion. That's a fact. Hinduism teaches that your soul, after a series of perhaps thousands of reincarnations, your soul will reunite with the spiritual realm as a drop of water into the ocean. Well, that's different. Buddhism is basically atheistic. It teaches your soul will evaporate after you figure out that behind this world is nothing. You will be blown out like a candle, never to exist again. That's very different than what we believe. Islam teaches in the bodily resurrection and a heaven and a hell, but they teach that no one can know for sure what Allah will decide about your fate. Your judgment will be based on works. You cannot die with hope. In the Baha'i faith, they teach that the soul enters the spiritual realm on a journey towards or away from God, and it will last forever. Heaven is progress. Hell is failing to progress. Atheism teaches there is absolutely nothing after this life. Therefore, the Christian view is unique. We don't believe that heaven is like, uh, if you watch... Growing up, the cartoon, if you watched, the Care Bears, right? Heaven is not like Care-a-lot. We're, it's a cloudy place where everyone floats around on cars and rainbows and you're not an angel, you're not a spirit. The Bible teaches that what you will be is you will be physical. You will be conscious. You will have a body, but it will be different because the Lord will call you back from your tomb. Well, what if I die tomorrow? Okay, well, there, you, you are spirit. You have to understand how you were made. The stuff you were made out of can't ever die, meaning you will never be unconscious. You will never stop existing. Therefore, death is not a period, death is a comma, your soul separating from your body. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. There is an intermediary state that's spiritual, but God's ultimate will for you and for me is for you to come back physically and therefore spiritually and physically you are made something completely new, eternal, in a body that never grows old. He will recreate the heavens. It says a new heavens, a new earth, a brand new planet beneath your feet. No sin, no suffering, no tears, no aging. I don't know about you, but the first thing I'm going to do in heaven is track down my dentist and laugh at him. For the first thousand years of heaven, I'm going to eat nothing but Skittles. New body, never grows old, never decays, no suffering. No, you want that now. God says it's coming. God will Bring about the renewal of the entirety of the universe. You will be raised to life physically by Jesus. It will be conscious, it will be physical, it will be spiritual. Therefore, you have to make a choice about the claims of the Bible. I'm not saying you need to place your faith in any old thing. I'm not saying you need to place your faith in everything. I'm saying there's a very specific thing. Just like the widow said, now I believe the word I have heard is from the Lord. You have to believe that this message that Christ taught is binding It's authoritative. It's true and that it affects you and will forever. You will be raised to life physically by Jesus. You must believe God raised Jesus from the dead. Here's the second sub point. You must be raised to life spiritually by Jesus. Write that down. Spiritually by Jesus. When the Bible assesses the problem that you have, the condition that you're facing in this life, it looks into your spirit. And do you know what God says he sees in your heart? Not, not that you're sick, not that you're just ignorant and you need to learn things, not that you're just weak. The word that the Bible uses about your spiritual condition at birth is you are dead. Ephesians 2.1, we'll put it on the screen, says this, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked dead, lifeless, incapable of knowing God, incapable of pleasing God, not prepared to dwell with God for eternity. And therefore, the Bible says we can be born again, born in spirit. What is dead can come back to life. The truth is that in that room... When the widow saw her son, there were two resurrections. There was a physical one because her son came back to life. But when she put her faith in what she heard, there was a spiritual resurrection. And she, through faith, was born again. I think you'll see her in heaven. You also, the Bible talks about your spiritual condition, which is a greater problem than your physical death. Your spiritual death must be rectified by Christ raising you up while you're still living bodily. But sadly, if you die and your spirit has not been raised to life. You're raised up to judgment. You must be raised to life spiritually by Jesus. First John five eleven to 13, we'll put it on the screen, says, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. This life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Hey, do you know that you have eternal life? And what do you base that knowledge on? I base that knowledge on my understanding that there was a God who came back from the dead never to die again, and he still lives today. That's the only person who can give me life beyond the grave. Who are you trusting? If you refuse to believe this truth, here's the third point. I must believe God raised Jesus from the dead because He'll raise me to life physically, He'll raise me to life spiritually if I ask. And third, or else I'm destined for death eternally. Or else I'm destined for death eternally. John five, twenty seven to twenty eight says this He that's God the Father has given him, that's God the Son, authority to judge. Because he is the son of man. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. There's only two destinations eternally that God has prepared. And if you refuse to relate rightly to the source of life. Your only destiny possible is death. Death. Because God made you a spiritual being, you can't end. If you're determined hard-heartedly to rebel against the giver of your life, to refuse to repent, to receive spiritual life, you are destined to spend eternity in spiritual death, which is separation from God. Why? Because God's mean? Because God wants to hurt people? Because he wants them to suffer? No. No. Because if you choose death over life, if you choose darkness over light, if you choose sin over righteousness, if you have no love for your Creator and no allegiance to your King, you're self condemned. You can't blame God. He did everything within His power to show you your fate. He did everything in His power to show you how He can overcome your fate. He even made provision at the cross for your every sin. You can't wipe away a single line item in your sin record it's all going to be judged. He made provision for you based on grace, something He accomplished for you to receive eternal life as a free gift. He did that. And if your response is no, I'll find another way, I don't believe it, you're destined for death eternally. The question then that I have for you is the same question the widow had in front of her. Same question Elijah had as he brought that Boy, upstairs, do you believe God can raise the dead? And do you believe that he did, that he raised up his son and exalted him on high as king of kings and lord of lords? Do you believe by faith that one day Jesus will call your name and you will step back up out of your grave and appear before a holy God for judgment? Do you believe that your only hope of life eternal is the one life giver who God has sent into the world, which is the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe that? I want to give you a chance to rest your eternity on what you heard through the Lord this morning. Let's pray. Father, you are so mighty. With your voice, you called the heavens and the earth into existence and filled it with light. We believe with your voice, Lord Jesus, you will raise up every person in this room one day. Father, I believe there are some who came into this room undecided about Jesus Christ. And yet I believe now, as Jesus said, you are calling them unto salvation. You are calling them by name to receive the life that is eternal, that can only be given freely through the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe you are drawing men and women to yourself right now. Father, like the widow, there are some here this morning who are facing... What I say is true. They know it's true. They can feel it. Their heart is racing. Their palms are sweating because they know they are not in a right relationship with you. Like the widow, they've been undecided for too long. It's finally time to rest their faith solely in the one who can raise the dead. Father, anyone who is ready to put their faith in Christ by your grace, I pray that they would, in their own hearts, repeat after me in the quiet place of their own soul. Father in heaven, confess I am a sinful person, condemned to die, condemned to leave your presence for eternity. Yet I believe your grace. I believe Jesus died on the cross to do away with my sins. I believe he rose again. I believe he is exalted now at your right hand. And I come into your presence asking for a free gift, Give me life. Reassure me that that life will never leave me. Reassure me that you will never leave me. You will never forsake me.